Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Hello and welcome to the Abroad in Japan podcast, probably the best way of learning about life in Japan without actually being in Japan. I'm your host, Chris Broad, and we're joined, as always, by England's top Japan enthusiast, Mr. Pete Donaldson. Pete, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, we're still in the middle of a, a big old lockdown. Um, we're we're, we're oh, under siege by the old by the old COVID. The uh, South Africa and, and, and UK variants are, uh, are hitting us quite hard. So uh, yeah, anyone listening in the UK, hope they're uh, hope this this rubbish little podcast <laughs> supplies some salve to <laughs> to a miserable month in some small way. <laughs> How dare you? Rubbish little podcast. <laughs> we, I'm starting the podcast. <laughs> we've gone from strength to strength. We've been doing this, what, two years now? I don't even remember when we started. I know, right? 2018. Oh, three years. Yeah. Crikey. It'll be three years soon. And uh, it's, cricket. It's every week. Right, I spoke to you every... I don't speak to my parents every week. <laughs> It's quite surreal traveling around Japan and either I'm in my apartment like I am today or I'm in like a hotel room in Tokyo in a corner somewhere still having this chat with you. It's nice. It's fun to mm. kind of hear what's going on and uh, share stories. And I come to you yeah. this week with some good news, Pete. I have been to the gym for the first time this year and the first time in nine months. And I feel what? pretty damn fit. This is a whole so new the gym, so the, so the gyms are open in uh, the gyms are open in Japan, presumably, so you can you know do your thing. It's been open since uh, June last year. So basically, I I joined the gym in March 2020. I got into it. I was loving it. April 2020. I then stopped because it shut down because of COVID for like two months. It reopened, and then you had to wear face masks inside, which seems pretty reasonable. But at the same time, I felt like ah. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to run with a face mask on, especially as an asthmatic. That's a, a fast track to just passing out or having an asthma attack. So I held off, but I couldn't wait anymore. I've got put on a little bit of weight. I'm 85 kilograms now, back where I was a year ago. Uh, I went down to like 81 kilograms at my peak in 2020 before it went wrong over the Christmas season. Um, but yeah, I went for a nice run. The mask wasn't an issue. I got a mask that's quite good for running. Um, hmm. it, it's It's... So it's to be honest, I don't even know if it's a real mask. It's quite weird. It's like a sports mask, but it basically means it's very porous, and I don't know. It still says it's medically certified, though, so I'd like to oh. clear myself there of any wrongdoing. But no, I feel fit. I <laughs> did some chest workouts, did my upper body, Ooh. did some running for 20 minutes, and I 
feel good. I felt really good the last two days. Uh, my muscles are aching. But there's something about working out that unleashes this, I don't know, energy. Endorphins, mm. isn't it? It's all about endorphins. Yeah. I just, uh, I, 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 you don't have to take that long. T- 25 minutes, half an hour on the weights and whatever whatever else on, on the old uh, running machines or whatever, if, if, you, if your knees can take it. Mine frequently can't. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love, I, I used to love going to the gym. I mean, I, I, let's make it very clear. I don't anymore. <laughs> I think you should get an exercise bike uh, if you're going to be indoors. Yeah. Might as well get one yeah. or a treadmill. Mm. You can you can watch abroad in Japan while you jog. What if it hurts my bum? <laughs> it's not going to it's not going to do that. It's going to be fun. Get a treadmill <laughs> and a bike. But uh, yeah, no, I feel rather good about it. So I'm going to try and keep that up. So this is this is a new me. You're going to see a whole yeah. new abroad in Japan in the coming weeks. The the weight's going to magically drop away. It's going to be wonderful. You mark my words, Pete. Are you just sort of, um, are, are, you, uh, are you coming back after the gym and then eating what you want or drinking a lot of coffee like, like you do I, uh, quite late in the day? Coffee's not calorific, is it? So I think well, drinking coffee's coffee, all right. I mean, yeah, but that canned stuff has a lot of sugar in, doesn't it? That's well, I don't, drink, I don't drink canned coffee. I'm a man oh, of, of, sorry. of great... I'm a great person. I drink Nespresso. I'm a great person. <laughs> I'm a great person. Nespresso. I'm That's a great person. I drink Nespresso. Oh, good. Fancy, sounds, Dan. Over here. It sounds like the crappiest <laughs> marketing, the crappiest commercial for Nespresso. I'm a great man. I drink Nespresso. It's That's the right. Japanese version of that George Clooney one. That's where it gets subtitled as some weird sort of Japanese English. I'm a great man. I drink Nespresso. <laughs> it's, it's never going to be as good as Tommy Lee Jones, though, with his boss coffee. It's never going to quite beat good that. Good point. Good point. Nothing can. Nothing can beat that, except maybe this story of the week from Scott. Uh, this week we've got one from Scott who has a story about a honeymoon. Uh, sorry, not a honeymoon, a proposal. A proposal that uh, didn't quite go according to plan. And it begins, hey, Chris and Pete, only recently discovered the podcast, but I started watching the YouTube channel last year before my trip to Tokyo. My girlfriend and I flew to Tokyo on New Year's Day 2020 for two weeks. Uh, we'd been planning the trip for a year, but little did she know I'd also been planning to propose to her when we got there. Uh, she'd always said that if someone proposed to her in a crowded place, she'd hate it having that many people around. Uh, so I had to try and work out a quiet place to do it. But unfortunately, quiet spots were a bit few and far between in Tokyo. The plan was to travel through to Kyoto for two nights and either propose by the river or propose in Gion, the geisha district. On night two in Kyoto, we went for dinner. Uh, while I sat nervously pinching myself uh, as we went, <laughs> while I sat nervously pinching myself for the eventual proposal. After dinner, I suggested we go for a walk to get her to the intended romantic spot. But she said, oh, I'm too tired. I tried my best, but she wasn't having it. And my plan was ruined. Oh, dear. Now, having to call something on the fly, I basically had to walk around Japan with an engagement ring in my pocket until a good, quiet opportunity presented itself. This sounds like a great short film. Just trying Ooh. to find somewhere to uh, to propose with a ring in your pocket. Um a few nights later, we had spent the night in Rock Bar Mother in Kabukiche before wandering back home with a bag of Wendy's cheeseburgers. Uh, delicious choice. We turned a corner, a, a, we turned a corner onto an empty street, and <laughs> and my mind thought, "This, this is it." Before I knew it, I was down on one knee proposing, and thankfully she said yes. After the initial joy, she turned to me and said, "I just realised you tried to do this in Kyoto, didn't you?" It's all right, though. After all my planning, 
I'd asked the biggest question of my life outside of a Lawson's while she held a big bag of cheeseburgers uh, and Asahi beer. Also, I wanted to ask a quick question. I'm a producer for a professional wrestling company, and we went to the Tokyo Dome on my trip to uh, on my trip for the New Japan January 4th and 5th Wrestle Kingdom shows. With this year's shows less than a week away, have you been to any of the New Japan shows uh, or any other Japanese wrestling <laughs> events in your time there? Thank you, Scott. Um, First things first. That <laughs> makes me laugh so much because there's a lovely story about about uh, about you know getting engaged to, to the woman you love and then have you got, have you been in the New wrestling. Japan's wrestling. Wrestle Kingdom at the end? <laughs> well, I think if that story teaches us one thing, ladies and gentlemen, it's that Scott does not play by the rules. Uh, proposing. <laughs> to be fair, I quite like Wendy's burgers. I like Wendy's, the Baconator. Mm. You can't beat it. Yeah. And uh, so I, I feel like if someone's going to propose to me. I would love to do it while holding Wendy's. I could think of worse ways to go. Um, mm. Though I was in Gion District just three weeks ago in Kyoto, and it is a magical spot. And it is a shame you weren't able to pull it off there. But then how yeah. can you really coerce your sort of girlfriend into going down to this romantic spot? How would you have done it, Pete? Just being like, come on, um, do it. Oh, it's this way to our hotel room. I've lost my wallet. scoundrel who took my wallet has gone that way. In Gion, the geisha stole it. Got to go there. Yeah, geisha stole my wallet. God. Um, On the subject of wrestling, though, I don't know the first thing about wrestling. Pete, fill us in. You're a pro. Um, I have uh, I have watched one Wrestle Kingdom um, show. It was uh, New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom Eleven, I believe, and it was one of those kind of shows that really launched Japanese. wrestling into uh you know the the mainstream uh, as much mm. as wrestling is it can be mainstream and uh yeah new japan stuff is incredible their website is horrific to uh to work with uh like a lot of uh, japanese websites but uh it's well well worth a watch and i think uh obviously i think wrestling kingdom's happening at the moment I th- obviously you can have people watching stuff uh in japan because they've got you know <laughs> quite uh, draconian uh, uh covid uh situation but i've got I, I did go to see at um at uh I went to see a new new, new Japan. Um, I think it was best of the Super Juniors. I'm sure uh, back in the day, and I enjoyed it immensely. And I would very much like to see more. Yeah, very nice, very nice. I mean, I've, I'd i quite like to see it. Um, my friend Sean in Osaka, he follows it closely, and he's always posting videos and photos. And they seem to be very good at acting um, and doing these wrestling kind of performances. There's a real kind of theatricality to it that seems pretty impressive. So next time you're over, let's do it. Let's pop down to Osaka or Tokyo and, and give it a whirl. Make a video. Um, yeah, now, definitely. We've got, uh, following on from that story, we've got another kind of story. It involves uh, Japanglish, when English goes wrong in Japan. And this time it's uh, it's from a guy called Benjamin. He says, hey, guys, I thought you'd appreciate this toy that came for my nephew over Christmas. Um, and it's kind of like a it's like a wooden doll. A bit like the old Russian dolls, you know, the, the sort of Russian wooden doll. Um, but it looks a little bit tackier than that. Uh, <laughs> I think it's some sort of traditional Japanese doll. Um, and it literally just says in English, small, a wooden man. Um, and it's and it's it's a Daruma, Daruma doll. But on the back of this right. package for this traditional Japanese doll, it uh, has some extensive English and it's all gone horribly wrong. And uh, it doesn't feel, it feels kind of at odds with this sort of child, kid-friendly uh, aim. I'm sure the makers had in mind. But it says, Beat to death, a group of heroes from around the world. They maintain world peace. They come. 
<laughs> that this is a particularly fun parent-child activity toy. This is a group of returning heroes. Will bring your child happy, happy. A detailed fuck. A detailed video demonstration. Teaching instructions above. Sweep, sweep the yard. Or watch video teaching. I wish you happy. And that's just the back of it. And they've got uh, they've got another bit of text on the side. Uh, the complete set of products include the life of the wooden magic effect description. The small wooden man. The small wooden man cannot be broken to kill the cute, cute little wood. This is <laughs> God. What has gone wrong here? This is an interesting and unique magic trick. Combined with traditional Japanese toys, it acts as if the audience are watching cartoons. Even if it were knocked down and collapsed, it would magically return to its original state. I mean, how did so much assaulted. go so wrong? You feel insulted. <laughs> that language. I feel assaulted by that language. I, I just don't know what the hell is going on. Fantastic, though. Like, it's just the... um. It's just you can kind of see what they're sort of going for. Presumably, you can have you? to knock the bottom. Can you though? Like the bottom. So the sweep, sweep, sweep the yard. The hammer is used to sweep the bottom um, peg of the druidor, so it so it kind of it drops down one level. Is that right? I mean, right, so so are you knocking individual bits of wood off the smaller yeah. wooden man? The doll comes in uh, five parts, right, with the head on top. Mm. And the idea is you have a little yeah. hammer and you use the hammer to knock out uh, a piece of the doll at the bottom so it sort of falls down. A bit like that table trick and someone pulls the um, yeah. tablecloth yeah. off, right? It's a bit like that. So you knock it down. The idea Jenga. being that, yeah, like Jenga, but the doll won't fall over. Um, mm. But I just, there's so much that has gone wrong here. I, I love the way it's a beat so to death, a right. group of heroes. Beat to death. <laughs> so graphic for a child's toy. Wonderful. So Love violent. it. It looks. It go. looks. Um, I mean, it's made in China, so you imagine it was a like a like a Chinese like Chinese description rather than Japanese. Maybe I don't really know to be honest, but it it seems very very tortured. But it might one be. Of the but best then it is a, of, It's a Japanese yeah, designed really, product, yeah. so they might mm. have done it in Japan and then just had it made yeah. in China. Either way, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? Disaster, <laughs> absolute disaster. Uh, very enjoyable. Um, so we turn our turn. I turn now to the news uh, of the week, and in recent years, we often we kick off each year with a story of someone buying a ridiculously expensive tuna. And last year, I think the year <laughs> before last, tuna, <laughs> yeah, the um, the guy Kiyoshi Kimura who is the owner of my favorite sushi chain, uh, Sushi Zanmai, which I've got to take you to the next time you're here, Pete. Uh, they call him the Tuna King. He's this very large, jovial man. He's very happy. He's always surrounded by attractive staff with a sword in his hand as he cuts the tuna. Uh, but every year, he bids on the most expensive tuna. And it's a kind of New Year's ceremony, right? You get this, the biggest tuna you can find. It's caught in the uh, sea in between the uh, in between Hokkaido and Honshu, the Sugaru Strait. And I actually did a video there with Ryotaro a few years ago, which you can check it out. Um, but this the fish there is so good quality, such good quality, this bluefin tuna. Um, it is rare to come by. Uh, and last year, Kiyoshi Kimura spent $2 million on a 276-kilogram bluefin tuna. Um, and then two, a year before that, in 2019, he spent $3.1 million dollars on a 278 kilogram tuna um mm. which is ex very excessive uh, but also a great publicity stunt because all the media of japan will round on you and sort of follow you around and uh, it's great publicity but this year mm. far from having the 
record setting, uh, having that record uh, set once again by Kiyoshi Kimura. He kind of didn't, he held back from bidding. And the most expensive tuner went for a pitiful, I say pitiful, uh, it went for $200,000 for a 200 mm. kilogram tuner. So a bit smaller than usual, but a heck of a lot less. And apparently the reason is Kiyoshi Kimura decided, uh, I didn't go for the highest bid, he says, this year, uh, because this is the first time I wanted to have some self-control. I didn't think it was appropriate to go all festive this time. Um, the idea being that so many restaurants and so many businesses have suffered throughout the pandemic, it wouldn't have set a great precedent to blow spectacular sums of money on a fish, which is probably uh, a good PR strategy to embrace. Um, yeah, but it's amazing. He, 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 I think his second plan was to um, buy the tuna for a pitiful amount and then um, throw on a police car like Logan Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Just as much, Brings just as memories. much PR spotlight. Uh, just, but uh, so I guess yeah. There's two two ways of looking at it. You can sort of look at it as like the canary in the mine. Sort of going, oh my God! For the first time ever, this yeah. tuna maniac has uh, has not dropped a dropped a you know a, a million on a on a bottle of Dom P in, in the tuna world. Uh, but he's kind of instead he's he, he's kind of saved his kept his powder dry because it would be distasteful mm. to, to show off money at a time. I kind of get it, but then I also sort of go, it's kind of like the portents of the apocalypse, really, isn't it? <laughs> no tuna for you know, big man. You know, times are bad when the tuna king won't splash out big on his tuna. Yeah, it's a bit like the it reminds me of the uh, skyscraper index. I remember reading how you could often predict when there was going to be a downturn or the economy was going to go down um, by the number of skyscrapers being built uh, in like ah, mainland okay. China and the US. And uh, right. this is the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> I imagine the, tuna man. the Japanese stock market plunged when they discovered the tuna king wasn't splashing out more than $1 million on his bloody tuna. Yeah. Um, it's sad. It's sad. It's become like a weird it's tradition sad. to sort of switch on the news in uh, the first week of January and see, you know, an excessive stupid amount of money being blown on a fish. And uh, without that, I feel a bit sad. I feel a bit sad about that. Daddy Daddy Warbucks. Daddy Tuna Bucks. <laughs> Daddy Kimura. You've got to find a photo of him, though. He's such a great man. Um, just watch the video I made with Ryotaro. Um, I think we called it Japan's $3.1 million tuna. And uh, it's quite a fun video, actually. We see the tuna being caught. They use this one-rod method. Um, because, obviously, the fish are, are not doing well in terms of stocks, they've had to... Uh, cut down the amount of tuna they fish these days. And they just use a singular fishing rod these days, as opposed to like a big net they just throw in the sea. Um, and they use these rods to pull out the fish. It's quite a sight to behold. Um, but they all come from there. All the biggest, best, most delicious tuna come from the Sugaru Strait. So, but it's quite hard to get to. Very difficult to get to. But second news of the week is a survey has ranked the dream jobs for Japanese elementary school students around the nation. Um, we've discovered the top five most popular professions that elementary students want to do. I feel it's a little bit premature because I certainly didn't know what I wanted to do when I was an elementary school student. Did you want to know? Did you know what you wanted to do at the time, Pete, back then when you were a kid? No, no. I, I think I was uh, probably at the time, I probably wanted to be um, on a video Funky. game shop. <laughs> <laughs> monkey zoo. Didn't you want to work at a monkey yeah, zoo? Monkey zoo. Little monkey zoo. Which you did. You did. <laughs> I did. Eventually, but then you yeah. gave it up. You gave up Good your work dreams, with guys. Gave it up for fame. Uh, but uh, yeah, they've they interviewed um, six hundred boys and six hundred girls from grades one through to six uh, to find the top results. And here they are, ranked uh, from fifth to first place. Uh, in fifth place, tied with fourth place, 
or there's two fifth places they're tied uh, is doctor doctor followed by daycare or kindergarten teacher uh, in fourth place is youtuber or twitch streamer uh, which interestingly is a little bit higher for high school students that's typically like second or third place because it's such a popular job to have. Um, third place is pro soccer player, second place police officer, and the first place, which I can't quite understand, is patissier, uh, patisserie, uh, pastry chef, making baking bread. <laughs> That's pretty random, oh, isn't it? Where did that come that from? Is, is there a, bit... <laughs> a children's TV show where there's like a baker and all the kids are watching it and want to be a baker? What are your theories? Yeah, I mean, the smell is very delicious. I mean, it has to be said. It is good. I mean, like, uh, patisserie, oh yeah, I'd, it, it would be very, it wouldn't be like difficult sourdough loafs. It would be very much the chocolate uh, end of uh, the patisserie uh, world, you would imagine. Melon pan, yeah, exactly. Melon bread. Exactly. I can't stand it. Still can't, can't, I still can't eat the stuff. But uh, I, I don't know how I feel about that, that people would rather be a pastry chef over a YouTuber. Um, I don't know. Maybe there is something nice about about baking bread. I, I wouldn't know. I can't bake anything, but I'd like to try. Uh, second place, police officer. Third place, pro soccer player. I guess uh, you fall under that category as well, Pete. Does you want to be a pro soccer player? Are you a pro uh, soccer yeah. player now? No, I was. I was very uh, much uh, a man who um, played a lot of football too late to be even considered part like i love football so much from a very late age so i missed the opportunity for uh for getting involved chris could have been a contender uh, except i couldn't i'm dreadful at it i've been trying for 20 years to get better and i'm not <laughs> i just don't have that killer instinct and yet you are the presenter of the biggest football podcast on the planet you are the face of football and you yeah, can't exactly. play it professionally. Or what? You, you must be all right. Be, you don't you're, have you're to be a modest. horse to be a jockey <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. Does that make sense? I'll let it go. No, it go. I don't think it does. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> but uh, there you go, yeah. I'm I'm always interested to see what Japanese kids want to do. When I was a teacher, like most of the students I taught didn't know what they wanted to do. The most common job, and often like we often did exercises where they had to sort of write down uh, their future dream. When I'm older, I want to do X, Y, Z. And sadly, a lot of them did always say, when I'm older, I want to be an office worker. And that's, right. you know, always made my heart sink a little bit. I suppose there's nothing wrong with being an office worker, but I don't know. I felt like... Uh, stability, mate. Stability is underrated. Stability. I suppose it is more stable than being a YouTuber. You know, once you've... Uh, the first few years of YouTube are pretty dicey. Speaking from personal experience. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This week on Stakhanov. Join the self-care club as they trial out all those January health kicks. Listen as they put themselves to the test with Couch to 5K, Dry January and loads more. I think that evening was probably the closest you and I have ever come to having a bit of a Barney. Which we didn't really? have, but we nearly had one. It could have tipped into Bruges. <laughs> And why not check out the latest episode of Between the Lines with Melissa Reddy, where Roberto Martinez reflects on the highs and lows of his managerial career and the lessons he's drawn from 14 years at the top of the game. When you're a young coach, you almost feel that you want to answer every doubt or every question mark that there is surrounding your position and out there. And then the older that you get, you understand that you cannot stop that. It's impossible. You need to affect the headlines of tomorrow. And that's the real power of working in football and being the manager. All that and a whole lot more at Sakhanov. Uh, and now we turn our attention to the fax machine. What have we got this week in the fax machine, Mr. Donaldson? We've got a message from Nino from uh, Croatia. Good to hear from you, Nino. Uh, hello, Fris and Crete. I hope you enjoyed your uh, new year. I'd just like to say that the tiny Pete uh, KFC bucket in the last video made my day. How much <laughs> How much time do you usually spend setting everything up to record a uh, video? Yes, you as well, Pete. Nevertheless, uh, cheers for a better year, Nino, uh, from uh, Croatia. Um, yeah, the tiny Pete <laughs> KFC bucket. What was that about? <laughs> so... If you look at the video, Why I Avoid Christmas in Japan, uh, I think mm. I'm trying to work out what moment it's at. It's somewhere in the first five minutes. Um, I think it's about five minutes. It's a little Easter egg, so it's a little bit tricky to see. About five minutes 20, you can see my 1950s, 1960s Japanese-style diorama, right? The Japanese mm. diorama, which I love so dearly on my shelf. Um, and over Christmas, some amazing viewers – uh, from the Abroad in Japan Patreon made some uh, miniatures. So there's the <laughs> the Tiny Peak KFC bucket where your nice. face is where Colonel Sander should be. One and the same anyway. You can't really tell the difference these days. And these days. Yeah, these days. It's all the same. And uh, there's some other things. Like there's a bottle of uh, sake with the For Fuck Sake logo on. There's a Family Mart fried chicken as well. And even yakitori skewers it's so well done it's so impressive i highly recommend <laughs> just going back to that video and checking it out um because i think most people missed it because i didn't really see that many comments on it although to be fair most of the comments on that video were people saying uh or people giving me advice on how to dispose of my asbestos bath mat kind of overshadowed the peak kfc bucket which i feel <laughs> is rather unfortunate we'll have to uh, definitely find a way to include your precious bucket in future episodes, <laughs> were you, were you yeah. impressed, Pete? I was very impressed. It's an adorable little uh, little bit of uh, fried chicken bucket. I think I should be on every one, full size or mini. It's some serious craftsmanship. Uh, yeah, I was really impressed. It's really, I love my miniature stuff. I'm, I'm hoping to uh, do some more miniature, get some more dioramas for this year, um, mm. so I can 
build a little like Japanese village on the shelf behind me when I'm presenting and use a green screen. Like I bought a green screen for the um, video why I don't watch Japanese TV last year, right? So I could put myself in the 1960s room. But I haven't done much with it since, so I'm looking for more excuses. And I like the idea of like sit, using the green screen to superimpose myself into the uh, – the 1960s room again and this time i'll be like eating the kfc bucket with your face on it i think that could be a lot of fun <laughs> it'll be a little bit of a technical challenge um we've got one here from ladislav from slovakia he says hello chris and pete i was watching the new year's trash taste podcast episode which had chris in it and i got to the section where he talked about japanese work culture and how they take less vacation than they are allotted so they don't look lazy in the eyes of their colleagues and bosses I know that neither of you had had experiences in multiple Japanese companies to compare, but have you heard whether in general they do get compensated for the extra work time that they spend in their jobs daily or for the underused, uh, unused vacation days that they never take? Uh, or do they just not accept it because it wouldn't be fair to get paid for something that should be a normal part of the work routine in Japan? Keep up the good work. Um, I don't listen to the podcast as soon as it comes out, but once per week when I make my shopping rounds, it's a good companion through my walks there and back. Greetings, Ladislav from Slovakia. I, uh, I quite a few listeners do that actually. I, if I ever listen to this podcast, I usually binge the two episodes back to back while I'm down the gym. That's what I did last year. Uh, uh, on the, yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm a binge person. I usually wait for like the whole series to come out. Um, mm. people just getting into the podcast they've got 200 bloody episodes to work their way through and yet somehow people still do it they like message us uh, you guys message us every week saying oh I've just gone through 200 episodes yeah. I don't know how I managed did it. it in a month or something it's crazy but I suppose mm. with the old lockdown it's a good way to kill time and uh, have a bit of fun on the subject of Japanese companies from my experience from my friends um, who I've spoken to they don't really get compensated for extra work time um, unless it's a foreign company in Japan. And my advice is usually if you come to work to Japan to work, try and get a job in a foreign run company because it uses the Western style of management, which I must say is a lot more humane and, uh, and good for living, like much better way of living, uh, better quality of life. Um, Japanese companies can be a little bit ruthless that's an understatement actually they can be very ruthless when it comes to that sort of work culture and i certainly would not want to do it myself i was terrified when i reached the end of my time as a teacher and i was looking like i was gonna have to move to tokyo and kind of get into that uh lifestyle and i was very lucky that uh well i was, I was lucky on, on the one hand abroad in japan had taken off and i was I, I think i took the plunge i thought i'd rather just take the plunge and risk it all as opposed to work in a Japanese company. But be advised, if you're coming here to work, do your homework on the company uh, because you might not get paid for that extra overtime you take, which mm. just seems unthinkable, doesn't it? Especially coming from the UK, where I remember when I used to work overtime, I'd make it very clear to my boss, I wanted the money. Give me the money. I'd throw my timesheet in their face until I got the money. <laughs> what do you reckon, Pete? What do you make of well, it they well they they put a lot of um, there's a lot of public holidays in Japan, isn't there? And, and that is genuinely just to make sure that the Japanese are taking enough time off because mm. obviously they talk about the the incredible work ethic they got and then the overworking and stuff like that. But the, yeah, the, the the reason why there are so many national holidays in Japan is is sort of because of uh, overworking and the fact that Japanese will work you know six days, seven days a week if if if, if they're allowed to. Uh, I know Microsoft in, installed a four day working week, I think last 
year or the year before. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting used to seeing mm. last year being 2020. It's actually, tw- it was actually <laughs> I made uh, that 2019, mistake, yeah. of course. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, they, they, they did a, a four day working week and I think productivity went up 40%. Incredible. <laughs> that's, I mean, yeah, that's phenomenal. I, hopefully it'll be the way things go i mean certainly at the moment because the tokyo area is on lockdown which is a topic we've tried to steer away from because nobody i think we're all so fed up of covid but tokyo is on a kind of a lockdown not a lockdown but an emergency situation um in big quotation marks basically they're just advising people to work from home where possible and not go out after 8 p.m um and they're advising restaurants to shut down from 8 p.m many of them don't obey that and many people just don't care mm-hmm. to be honest um, right but uh uh hopefully that might change we're seeing a lot of people take workation holidays and work at the office and certain companies in japan have actually kind of uh swiveled to using that as their kind of uh model actually getting their employees to not come into the office so we'll see where that goes i can't say i'm overly optimistic though um i feel like those that sort of work culture is very much entrenched in uh, in Japanese culture, and uh, it's, it's not going to change anytime soon. Pandemic or no pandemic, uh, we got one from Rohan. Over to you, Pete. I'll let you handle. Uh, we got a message from Rohan saying, um, "Hi, Chris and Pete. I enjoyed the podcast. Uh, and sorry, <laughs> I, I, you know, I saw the word coolish, and I just said podcast. <laughs> As I enjoy this pack of coolish, I wanted to start off by saying how much I enjoy the podcast, Instagram, and YouTube channels. Uh, your podcast made my um, weekly flights between Dubai and Kuwait much more tolerable back when uh, travel was still possible. I'd love to go to Kuwait. Um, be, being someone who travels to Japan every year, not being able to visit in 2020 really sucked. But the videos and journey across Japan made it somewhat better. Something I've been curious about is the degree uh, to which uh, people discuss politics in daily life. A large chunk of my conversations with friends and co-workers centre around politics, uh, local, American, Brexit, etc. Is it the same in Japan? And to what extent uh, extent do uh, newspapers objectively comment on political events? Do they try and sugarcoat things to help politicians save face? Have there been any interesting political scandals of late? Once again, thank you for very much for the uh, great work and looking forward to more. A journey across Shikoku, perhaps. Uh, that was from Rohan. Great email. I, I mean, that's a good question. We generally, I mean, people here generally steer away from politics. It's frequently in the news, but because Japan doesn't have the most the, the most free press in the world, if you look at the freedom um, the pre, uh, freedom of the press index, Japan's actually quite low down. Uh, ever since former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe replaced the head of the NHK with his mate, uh, it's like mm. Boris Johnson replacing the head of the BBC with his mate, like putting Dominic Cummings in charge essentially. Uh, but Shinzo Abe, who's now gone and been replaced by Yoshihide Suga. He had a scandal, and his wife had a scandal involving um, his wife had a scandal in Osaka, I believe, where she worked with a school to get some land at a low price, and then it looked a bit dodgy, like she had pulled some strings to get the land sold to the school at a cheaper price than it should have been, and he got in trouble uh, for having some sort of garden party uh, where he might have not used expenses correctly. I'm not up to speed on the situation. I can't say I'm overly. In, interested on it but what i will say is politics and politics in japan it's really not as divisive as uh the us or the uk has been and in many ways i kind of like that it's nice to steer clear of it all um, and not have that environment people mm. you know i think people in japan feel like it's a, it's something outside their control um and that is why they have those really annoying 
uh, trucks, the speaker trucks that I've whinged about in the past, mm. whenever someone's up for re-election, whether it's a prime minister or a local prime, a local politician, they'll have a truck that will drive down the streets, blaring out, vote for, vote for Yoshihide Suga, vote for Takeshi Steve. And they'll do that and it'll drive up the bloody wall and it will do it day and night and I hate it. But that's because... People, the, the voter turnout here is pretty low, I think, compared to other mm. uh, Western uh, democracies. So, uh, yeah, people really don't care about politics much in Japan, from my experience, because they feel a little bit like it's outside their control. It's not something they can do, uh, they can they can deal with. And and another thing, in many ways, Japan is a little bit of a one-party state. The LDP, um, who have clung to, power, clung to power for most of the last... 60 years most of the post-war era um they've 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 run the country effectively the, i think the democratic party had a small had a small uh, time in power in the mid-2000s but they lost it because they had about three or four prime ministers in the space of five years and everyone got really angry um it was really poorly done they had one chance they blew it and the ldp came back to power um so yeah japan often feels like a one-party state they don't have that kind of push and shove that you get from the Republican Party and the Democrats or the Labour Party or the Conservatives. Um, so for better or worse, I don't know. But yeah, it's it's not a topic most people talk about. I mean, you don't know much about Japanese politics, do you, Pete? It's not exactly covered uh, in the UK at all. Yeah, so I, I mean, know. I guess it's it, it's one of those things that um, the the big the big brother uh, China obviously dominates, and Xi Jinping's uh, uh, policies obviously in that in that area of the world obviously dominates. Yes. So you can understand why nobody really follows Japanese politics because, in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's probably like following. It's probably like following in the same way that the French really don't think about. English Brexit that much and English uh, English situations uh, political situations even though they're a close neighbour um, the French do have there is an appetite for, for them leaving the EU but they they uh, they they're just not they don't really understand why the, the British have done this and they, they don't really understand why they they, mm. they, they in a country in that situation would do it so yeah it's I think I think if if COVID and and, and what this year has sort of taught us um, is that um, things will start becoming a little bit more insular. There was a massive opening of the world, obviously, when the the, the dawn of the internet and, the, and and social media and stuff like that. And I get the feeling that things are going to get a little bit more myopic, and, and and we'll have to sort of see that out for the next five years, and then we'll be back to uh, you know understanding what's important: uh, friendships and, uh, and and agreements, and uh, you know. Uh, yeah, just uh, par- parties getting together and uh, reaching, together. reaching hands around the world. Oh, dear. We're at the end oh, of a I very do... long record day, Chris. It's, only, it's 11 o'clock. I've only had two coffees this morning. I need more. It's not enough coffee. <laughs> what I will uh, say is the biggest, I mean, it, the biggest political story has been Yoshihide Suga uh, taking over from Shinzo Abe. He was the uh, French master. The crunch because <laughs> he's fit, old Suga. He does his press ups every yeah. morning, apparently. Yeah. Um, but he took over from uh, Shinzo Abe, who had, I think, if not the first, and certainly the second longest reign of any Japanese prime minister uh, in in history or since the in, since the Second World War. Um, so with him out the picture, Yoshihide Suga took over, and people were kind of working out: Is he going to change things? What's he going to do? He hasn't really changed much. All that's happened is he's lost his popularity very quickly because of his handling of COVID um, and because COVID cases are going up across Japan. He's seen as being pretty incapable and his his um, 
current approval rating is around 40% from a high, I believe, of 74% in September. So he's, you know, 30% approval has gone up in smoke in the space of three or four months. We'll have to see what happens. We'll have to see if he'll stick around for next year uh, or for this year when he's up for re-election. But, uh, yeah, Japanese politics, though, people don't talk about it. And I like that. I like that very much. Keep the stories, questions, comments coming in to the Brawn Japan podcast at gmail.com. We'll be back on Wednesday, guys, to do it all over again for now. No matter where you might be, out there in the big wide world, have yourself a great few days, and we'll see you right back here to do it all over again on Wednesday. Have a good one. Parties, getting together and putting their Shut hands up. across Go home. The- <laughs> Get out. <laughs>